Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm yeah. looking for the best. Please don't do that. Uh, I'm talking right now. Lit, lit, lit. We're, we're going to have to start over. Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'll be the only one talking. And <laughs> uh, everybody shuts off. It's like those cereals that are, that are oops only whatever it is, you know? Mm. Like oops only know. berries, the Captain Crunch. This oops is oops only, oops only Nick. Oops only Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a click. That was the lit heads clicking the episode off. Um, today I'm looking for an athlete autobiography. And this is a lit head recommendation from Wayna, who is Wayna in the house. One of my Woo-woo. one of my former students and an athlete herself. So oh yeah. Good recommendation. Yes. Lit heads, you've yeah. been sending in some clunkers lately, but this is a good one. So nice job, Wayne. <laughs> no, I think we've actually been doing our own themes lately. <laughs> oh, that explains, that explains actually quite it, a bit. Yeah, that, to help me find the two greatest athlete autobiography books in the world are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Beautiful. Ian and Joe. Ian, Ian and Joe. Hey, that's Good. my name. Can I, can I go now? Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. Happy game, Nick. Happy set, Ian. And happy match, Litheads. Nick, this Ooh. week, if you were looking for the greatest athlete autobiography, I brought probably the best one ever written, so Ian might as well just, like, leave this call. I brought the autobiography Open, written by Andre Agassi, famous tennis player, in 2009. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a one star review for you if you think he's, this book's so great. One star from Deb says, this guy's annoying. All he does is complain, complain, complain. Oh, poor me. I make millions playing tennis, but I hate it. Do not read this book. Well, Nick, um, I have some things to say about that. There'll be, there'll be no rebuttals. Ian, introduce yourself. Belay that carabiner, Nick. Jug on up, Joe. Send it, Litheads. This week, I'm Ian DeYoung, a doctor of climbing, and I'm also a high school English teacher. And I brought Alex Honnold's memoir, Alone on the Wall. And Ian, would you like a one-star review for your book? There's only one. There's only there's one. There's only one, one, and it says Alex Honnold is a psychopath. I hope that's <laughs> what some. it says. It's, it's, written, it's, written by, it's written by El Capitan, and it's like, this guy never actually <laughs> should have free-soloed me. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. I have a question for you. First off, the one-star review is interesting read downgraded by weird comments about women. Extreme sports, bro. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, this is a question. <laughs> An answer. El Capitan, where did that name come from? Because that's that's a little bit that's a little bit different than basically everything else that's named in America. Right. Yeah. We name things like Mount Hood or Mount McKinley or you know. Well, I mean, let's be fair. There are a lot of a lot of parts of California which were uh, uh, colonized by the Spanish, and so they named things. Um, there you go. What I what I discovered in the course of in the course of um, my my reading is that uh, rocks and routes on rock have kind of bonkers and sometimes stupid names because oh. these are named by climbing oh, bros. Oh, yeah. They're, they're named by climbing bros, and as such, they're gonna be they're gonna be dorky. Andre Agassi, mm-hmm. famous tennis player, famous tennis guy. Though, though, getting to the point, I would say 
He's aging out of the he's aging out of the spotlight. Oh, he has aged out of the spotlight. Well, I think he's long retired. Yeah, well, but, but like the, the book, I think the book kind of brought him back because um, this is widely regarded as a very as a very good book. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell myself a little bit. Alex Honnold reads uh, open in as he's, he writes in Alone on the Wall about reading the Agassiz uh, memoir and he talks about it. Wait, is that real? Are you you're lying? It's it's bookception. Ian is succeeding uh, this episode. Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, he, <laughs> he goes into it. he's got he's got a wonderful he's got a wonderful piece where he's like, uh, yeah, I couldn't really understand Agassiz. It was a good book, but he seemed to hate what he was doing for his job. I can't understand that because I love what I'm doing for my job. Looking good for you, Joe. Uh, looking yeah. good for you. But here we are. Well, welcome, Lidheads to You Don't Know Lid, a weekly, as we call it, strongly podcast where every week. We bring two book recommendations, Ian and specifically Ian and Joe do. They're high school mm-hmm. English teachers. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're kind of a big deal. <laughs> if you bring well, book recommendations to this podcast, um, you can't because you're not recording with us. So just okay. don't even well, try. Don't be mean to the lit heads. That was. I'll be mean to the lit heads. I'm feeling, feeling salty today. Have we talked about Ian's glasses yet? Ian and, Ian and I have talked about his glasses. Ian, yeah, really? happy new glasses. Thank you. Lidheads, if you're watching us on TikTok, you'll see I have schnazzy new glasses. I like Are you them. rebranding yourself, Ian? Lidheads, you should listen. This is a great, a great way to plug our TikTok um, and also Instagram and other things. <laughs> head on over to our head on over to our, our uh, socials and you'll see my, my schnazzy new glasses. They are all, uh, a nice aquamarine shade of teal. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're fantastic. Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. The summer of Ian. Uh, we're every week. Joe and Ian bring two book <laughs> recommendations. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. And it upsets us every time. Gentlemen, we have some show rules to keep you on track. Rule number one, Thank only God. unavoidable spoilers. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. And rule number three, Make only winning words, matters. Much like in sports. Much like of in course, sports. We also have our shadow rules, which we, we have the same ones every week. Yep. And they are, say them with me, Litheads, at home. One, grab the pro. Two, smear your right foot before the lie back. And three, don't fall off. And I'll just give you a little fun fact about these shadow rules. They also apply to climbing. Um, these things are things you should do both as you listen to the podcast and, and, and when you climb. Mm-hmm. We'll climb. certainly keep those rules in mind. Thank you, Ian. Mm-hmm. Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds and tell me what your book is about? Nick, in this world, you either root for the Packers or you loot for the Bears. Muhammad Ali or Joe Frazier, the Beatles or the Stones. These are the classic rivalries. Well, I played competitive tennis my entire life. When I was young, you were either an Andre Agassi guy or a Pete Sampras guy. I was an Agassi guy. This week, I read his 2009 memoir, Open, and even if you know the broad strokes of Agassi's life, this book fills in all the great detail from his overbearing dad to his reluctant rise to his years and years of rebellion and finally his acceptance of the game. It might be one of the greatest sports memoirs ever written. Nobody argues that Andre Agassi is the best tennis player ever, but I think this book makes the argument that he's the most interesting one. That was a pretty good uh, 30 seconds, Joe. Did, who wrote that? I, I wrote that. <laughs> I, I wrote it this morning when I was making my coffee. Pretty good. Person had personal comments mm-hmm. and yeah. wordplay. I think you said the word swinging. Yeah, I decided since we're like heading into, since we are like barging into 200 episodes of this podcast, I'm going to yes. start taking it a little more seriously. And uh, oh, nice. up my game. this is yeah. a, a new yep. chapter. Yep. New chapter. Joe is rebranding as dad puns. Dad puns. <laughs> Ian, do you want to take 30 seconds and tell me what your book is about? 
When you solo a rock wall, you climb it alone. When you free climb a rock wall, you don't use any ropes or protection. When you free solo a rock wall, it's just you and the wall and gravity. Alex Honnold likes to free solo half mile tall cliffs. They made an Oscar winning movie about it. You might have seen this. It's called Free Solo. He wrote this book too. I wrote, brought Alone on the Wall for Athlete Autobiography Week. Yeah, I want to talk about this free solo guy. Ian, you're going yes. <laughs> yeah, Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I, this movie, I, I feel like we've talked about this before. I'm not sure if it's been on the show. Uh, in, in not, in, not, not live. We, we, we talked about this when we, when I talked about the book off in, record, uh, yeah. we discussed this and uh, much like the rest of the world discussed it in the sense that this movie is insane. It's insane. This story is yes. insane. It is one of the most gripping hour and 45 minutes or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Uh, it deserved every award it got, but it also leaves you with this like immense feeling that this guy is not like you. This is oh some like alien monster uh, who's burned out enough things in his head to climb <laughs> the biggest mountain in America without no, any no. ropes. Mm. Well, no, I think the not. planet probably. <laughs> <laughs> As I was reading this, I was thinking about Michael Phelps who um, had like had had has I don't know if he's swimming. He's not swimming competitively anymore, but Michael Phelps had things about his body like extra long arms and right. bones that rotated yeah. at 360 degrees, like things about him genetically <laughs> that made him propeller built into his ass. <laughs> his feet, he didn't have feet. His he webbed just, toes. <laughs> actually, no, I actually think that's, that's kind of like partially true. The I think the webbed toes, toes thing, thing I think is partially true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oops. I made a real joke. Um, so, um, but, but like he, yeah. he talks in the book about, he's like, there's a part where he says um, a lot of climbers, when they're doing a certain kind of climbing, they use tape to help save their skin. But he's like, my skin heals faster and doesn't get abraded this at the same speed um, that other climbers do. So I don't really need to use tape. I'm just like, Crazy. yeah, dude, that's like, that's, that's a, that's something which, these are people, these are tools perfectly engineered for the job. Like yeah. they found well, you one wonder, thing that yeah, they can exactly. do better than everybody else on the planet. Right. And you wonder if you wonder if he would, um, if he would like what he would have done if he was an accountant, if he had like routed into a different, <laughs> a different. <laughs> the world's most intrepid accountant, accountants, lit heads who are accountants. We love you. You're great. You're an important part of the. American financial system, but we'd like to speak to our webbed feet accountants now, but there's, but there's like, there's like a weird kind of connection between like, not only does he have the physical, um, the physical skills and the sort of genetic, uh, predisposition, the genetic, um, privilege, but Mm. also like there's the mental part of it, right? Like his brain is broken in all of the right ways that allow Mm -hmm. for this. Exactly. Joe. And, and he loves it. Like that's, that's the other thing he, he, he's, He's perfectly designed for this. And also, this is the thing that gives him the most joy out of anything in the world. Uh, quick question. How sexist is this guy? I was texting about this. I was texting about this book with a friend and um, the book in the movie. Um, and her read on the movie was great movie. Alex is odd. And that is kind of like I was reading yeah. uh, one and I, I was reading actually not a lot of one star reviews, but like two and three star reviews. Yeah, well, those were saying, hey. I will give this book. I would give the 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 things that happen in this book, the climbs, like 
the content of this book, five stars, but Alex himself is like a two star dude. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is funny because because it's an autobiography. This is your chance to <laughs> this like is you making your argument about yourself to the yes, world. And it's yes. like, yeah, interesting story. But dude's but I kind of I, I kind of like that because the, the book, the book is him. And it's more I think it, it's it's less polished than the movie. The movie's like. Look at this freak of nature. He's so cool. Yeah, he's a little bit problematic. Anyway, he climbed El Cap free solo record. The book is like, here is how I used one of my like how I used relational difficulties to fuel me in a groundbreaking climb in Red Rocks near Las Vegas. And then I got down and I was sad again and I was depressed. And I learned that climbing doesn't actually solve my relationship problems. Things suck. And so I have a whole section of like why you need to wa- read this book if you've already seen the movie. And one of the big things is that uh, this is his internal monologue. So we get to understand like why he does this this stuff. He, he says like really climbing is the thing that he loves the most. It, it, it is it is his first and maybe not his only love, but it'll always be his first love. And he's, he knows climbing really well, too. So he talks he talks about like the way that climbing makes him feel and yeah. he talks about the way other things in his life make him feel. And it's pretty clear that like he, climbing is it like climbing is yeah. the thing. And climbing is he's he is he is he's not religious. He's an atheist. He's he's like he's not one of those atheists. who's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Hands off. He's like, no, down with God. I don't like God. The idea Militant of God is atheism. that I think his God is the wall is I the think rock. The climbing, climbing is like like everyone's got something that they that everyone needs a god. Everyone's got something that is their god, and for him, his god is the rock. Yeah. And like <laughs> the actor, he's he is <laughs> yes, he loves Dwayne Johnson. He's at every premiere. Huge no, like he fan. he like he talks about how um he like it, it, the the rock the rock Dwayne the rock Johnson ruined right kind of ruined his his first major like serious relationship because he was like yeah. I I want or rather his affection for it he's like I want um I wanted to climb and she wanted a normal life and I was like these two are not compatible mm-hmm. and yeah. he chose climbing over her and in the movie when he finally gets on top of the rock johnson's head at the end yeah. and he loves both hands up have you guys seen this hand his hands they're are they just gnarled? laughable like when you see michael phelps without a shirt mm-hmm. and it's like what well, this guy has like he's like all arms like, like this guy like is he's not a, actually human yes. a goofy yeah. gorilla like this guy's hands are bigger than his head well he talks about like he talks about there's there's a there's a memorable moment um, in the book where he's like at this point i was hanging by two fingers off of uh, a cliff 900 feet over the, over the ground, overhanging. And he's like, when I thought about it later, it seemed scary. But in the moment, I was pretty confident. It was fine. This is this is the nature of it. I remember him talking about in the film, like crevice climbing and how he's able to like stick your hand in a crevice yep. and then you like make a cup out of the hand. And now it's like yep. this technical thing, but it just feels super secure. Like your hand becomes part of the rock. Yep. And I yep. remember watching that and being like, I don't know if I was halfway up El Capitan and I just had my hand in a, in a crack <laughs> bent like this. I don't know that right. I feel super secure. Well, the other phrase that comes to mind, though, as you talk about like how this climbing ruins relationships and how, how it's the only thing he wants to do. I keep thinking of like drug addicts and how you, this phrase like chasing the dragon, right? Where it's like, yeah. oh, 
I'm always chasing that high. I'm always looking for the yeah. next step. I'm always looking. It's like, hey, I climbed that with ropes. It was awesome. What if I climbed it without ropes? Ooh, I climbed that right. with support. What if I climbed it with nobody around? There's right. an ego here, right? So, okay, what do we... Okay, we've seen the movie. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's just slow assume down. that let's the slow world down. has... Let's, 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 let's slow back it up. up. Let's back we've it up because I, I feel like... We've seen the <laughs> movie... And now we have questions about the book. (laughs) Um, So I want to I want to slow down because we're talking about we've all seen the movie. Um, We're talking about this guy like we know who he is. Um, I will say that climbing is pretty niche. I no pun intended. Um, It's kind of a closed off community. Like there's a lot of jargon involved. If you're a climber, you're a climber. And if you're not a climber, like you might not know. Honnold is kind of kind of a breakout superstar the sort of person who transcends um the climbing the climbing world and becomes like he has he has um he he's he's seen as a legitimate athlete kind of beyond just the climbing the climbing well, circle yeah, he, he made the you don't know lit podcast about athletes so mm-hmm. he's made yeah, it that's he's that's it. it like alex if you're listening i'm sorry he said that mean stuff about you um he was already famous before the movie was made the movie is free solo it won uh, the oscar for best documentary in 2019 but that kind of like that that opened him up to an even wider uh fan base i kind of think he's the biggest name in climbing which is like saying i'm the biggest name in um my my personal neighborhood right here it's not like it's not like you know you you know dr andy young's new glasses (laughs) (laughs) but i think i think um uh his thing as i explained in my 30 seconds is 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 free soloing so um when you solo you're climbing without any protection when you're uh sorry when you're when you're climbing solo you're climbing alone free climbing is no protection when you're free soloing it's just you there's no one to catch you like if you fall you're dead the stakes are enormously high. As high as they book, can get. Yes, right. <laughs> yes. Like, like, well, this is the thing. If Andre Agassi loses a point, it's not like, it's not like Dwayne The Rock Johnson comes out of the court and shoots him with a blunderbuss. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might make tennis more exciting. If it, it, would did. Be, it would probably have more spectators. <laughs> more fans. Um, mm-hmm. This is like, this is like it, he, if he falls off, and he says this over and over in the book, like he, he knows if he falls off, he will die. And there, like, there are people. He talks about people dying. He talks about his good friend. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, so and so, I climbed this rock with him." And then two years later, he was dead. Um, in this book, Alex climbs a bunch of big, scary, tall rocks, and he climbs them usually quite fast. Um, the book is him writing about these climbs. They're not all free solos. Some of them are. Some of them are normal climbs. Some of them are with protection or with a partner. There's one where he goes to Patagonia. And not the store, the place in the world. And he climbs the racks of clothing. <laughs> that time he wore a rope, though. <laughs> um, he goes to Patagonia and there are like five super tall mountain peaks that are just next to each other. And he's like, nobody's ever climbed these back to back to back to back to back. I'm going to do it with a partner. And they do. And they like lose their shoes along the way. And they are soaked to the skin with waterfalls and they they do it and they they get awards for doing it um and the book is the pro the prep the process why he's doing it when it's scary it's just it's a, a peek into his mind a peek into his life oh peek another wordplay ian oh, good. question for good, you good, good. Yeah, really good. i suppose we could talk to people who haven't seen the movie but to hell with them go see the movie it's a great it's <laughs> an oscar movie. winner movie go see the movie it's pretty short Mike, yeah. here's my it question does, it does deal with it does deal with the questions of like the should free soloing happen yeah go ahead 
Yeah, it's his story. So my question is this. This is, you know, he didn't he wasn't the filmmaker on that movie, right? There was another filmmaker who made it and he was the star. My question, this is his words. This is now it's his time to own his own story. Um, I'm sure he didn't write this, but my question is this. (laughs) Maybe he did. Uh, my, my question is this, like, what do you get out of you've seen the movie, right, Ian? What do you get out yep, of this yep. versus what do you get out of uh, versus the movie? Is there anything yeah. more? Is this the book version of the movie? Yeah. At first, I thought this was like, you know, you get get, you get those novelizations. <laughs> the novelization. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. like when you Great. when you go see Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, and you're like, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that so much. I want to read a novel version of it, which is the same narrative. <laughs> beat. No. When I started, I, I wondered if that was going to be the case, but it's not. Um, this is not ghostwritten. Um, it is co-authored, but the the sections that are co-authored are clear. So oh, okay. um, there's, there's an old climber who just recently died named David Roberts, who pioneered a whole bunch of routes in Alaska, um, actually named a bunch of mountains in Alaska because they had never been climbed, never been um, never been uh, named, uh, I guess, by white people. Um, so he, I guess we should say he renamed them. He named them all names from the Bible because he was reading the Bible for his uh, English literature class at the time. So he was oh. like, ah, Peleg, that's a good one. Anyway, um, okay. so so David Roberts is this old climber who then became a professor of literature and wrote a bunch of books. And so he co-authors with Alex. His chunks are kind of talking about what Alex did and the sort of effect of this on the climbing world. And then you have Alex like in Alex's mind. So David Roberts will say, um, when Alex climbed this mountain, everyone lost it. Everyone said, are you insane? What a mess. You did a great job. And then we switched to italics and it's Alex's voice. And Alex is like, this chick at the bottom was like, can you please sign my boobs? (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, so <laughs> not just that, but um, like that, that kind of thing. It's like, yeah. like you, it's very clear what is Alex and what is David Roberts. Yeah. Not just because Alex is the more misogynist, but um, okay. but it's also one of, that's one but of also but also because <laughs> but also because like Alex is saying, I was on this, I was on the face. I had decided to climb the face of uh, Half Dome. You know, like mm-hmm. you know how Half Dome is like part of it's nice, nice and curved, and you can climb up that with with ropes, and part of it's just like boom straight down. Guess which side Alex climbed? I bet it's the boom side. Alex has a lot of boom in his life. Yeah, straight down. He's like, he's like, I'm going to free solo this. I'm going to go up this by myself without any protection. No ropes. If I fall, I die. And he's like, I got to this point where you need protection. You need ropes to get past it. And I was scared. I was there. It was my own private hell for about five minutes. And then I pushed through the end. Um, and that's the kind of thing. That's what I'm telling you. You don't really get that in the movie. So the book came out before he free soloed El Cap. Then he added a couple of chapters after he free soloed El Cap after the movie came out because everyone was like, dude, you've got to include this. This is this yeah, is like your biggest accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. Sick. <laughs> Send the nar, bro. OK, so um, this guy pretty much unanimously on all the reviews, I think maybe even beyond the reviews. Story incredibly captivating right. yes. and interesting yes. person po- pretty problematic in the sense Not. that like he has some problematic views what are those ian um can i save this for tiffany's <laughs> Uh okay sure yeah, yeah I'll um, say I'll, listeners we'll listeners in wait, his, uh, blatant wait sexism for, for tiffany wait wait for <laughs> tiffany's um i think i think it's like it, the, the thing here is that we we have this with athletes 
there are athletes who we love, like we're amazed or delighted, delighted by their accomplishments on the field or on the diamond. You know, your Aaron Rodgers, your Thomas Brady's, um, even Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan. My, uh, when that documentary came out about Michael Jordan, everyone was like, oh, wow, he is kind yeah. of a bad an person. asshole. And, He's an ass. and he made it. And he was like, I think I come across great. And everybody was like, you know, you're a dick, right? <laughs> What's so weird about it, though, is like you watch that Michael Jordan thing and you're like, wow, Michael Jordan's an ass. But also he's, he's really great. Still Michael Jordan. He, right? This is the duality. This is the duality of, I think, these reviews. And this is honestly one of the things that I like about this book. He is not trying to sh- present himself as this amazing, perfect dude. He's he's saying like, hey, I am possibly one of the best. Clim-. He, he never says like I'm one. I'm the best climber in the world. He's like, I'm better at these people that I'm better at these things than these people. But these people are better than these people. He's like, I'm not good at Alp, uh, like mountaineering. I'm not yeah. a mountaineer. Mm-hmm. I suck at that. When I go up, I'm scared. So the book fluctuates between this super, like legitimately humble stuff. One of my favorite lines is, I never had any athletic prowess. He's talking about being in a, <laughs> like a sports medicine clinic, watching like athletes walk through. And he's like, man, to be an athlete, those guys are really athletic. I didn't never have any of that. That's insane. Oh, that, That's I mean, insane. I'm just a world-class athlete. Other times he <laughs> says he's, incredibly confident things that almost seem cocky and maybe they are. Um, he says at one point I was 100% certain I wouldn't fall off the mountain. And that certainty was what kept me from falling off. Wow. He's just like, he he's just like when I'm up there, like I know what I'm doing. This wow. is my element. Joe, Joe talked about how kind of when you're in your, when you've got your finger, your hand jammed in a crack and you're, um, <laughs> yeah, you got it. That's exactly Joe always talks about that. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Joe talking about how how when he's on the mountain and he he's like this feels confident. I liken that. Um, my area of expertise is teaching. Yeah, and when I am in the classroom and we're on a roll and we're kind of like we're kind of cruising on a discussion or group work. And I, I'm kind of making things up on the fly. We're sort of yeah. flowing. It's going naturally. Oh, I love this comparison. Ian, keep going. <laughs> no, Ooh, Ian, you put, Alex, keep going. You put someone else, you put, you put a non-teacher in that classroom and they, they might get frozen. They might yeah. be like, they might right. be concerned. They might be like, what They're do not I do at the next? the top of their game like Ian and Joe are. For me, the confidence, the confidence keeps me going. I know that I know this stuff. I know that I can do this. Now, if I make a mistake in the classroom and say the wrong date, I I don't fall to my death. Dwayne The Rock Johnson doesn't come in with a blunderbuss and shoot me. Right. But but um, I think that there's a similar like when you're super good at something. And I, I think I'm pretty good at teaching when you're good at something. You have the confidence to say, yeah, I'm good. I got this. Well, and the confidence to just be like, hey, there's something in my near future that is a scary-ish thing, right? You know, that that that's, that is going to require a lot out of me. And I'm nervous to do that thing. However, I'm also super confident that I am able yep. to do that thing, yep. right? Yep. And, I, and like <laughs> our confidence is in the classroom, our confidence is whatever that is. Like Alex Hamill's confidence is I look at the biggest, scariest rocks in the world and I think, yep. yeah, I, I could climb that. I, I could climb that, which is insane for everybody else. Um, um, the last thing, I'll, the last thing I'll say is that this yeah. this book, this book um, is pretty strange as a an athlete autobiography. With Agassi, his career is over, right? 
with a lot of these athlete autobiographies, their careers are over and you know their accolades. Honnold is still in the thick of it. Um, he's getting older. He, ha- he married that, that woman from the movie and they have a kid. Um, so she, she went ahead and she went ahead and, and did put a ring on that. Interesting choice. Um, so she like he's he's still climbing and we don't know if he's going to die of old age or not of well yeah like (laughs) like like how and so many of these people so and so so and so passed away um two years after i climbed with him i I heard so and so uh i i I hung out with so and so and that was the last time i saw him um this is a weird book because usually when we read athlete autobiographies it's them looking back on a life well lived this is him saying I had a great time and I'm still having a great time. And you might see me in the New York Times obituary section soon. And that's really kind of a, a trip. Yeah, it's it's incredibly like like dramatic. You know, we like I keep I keep thinking of like dramatic irony when like we know how this story ends, but we watch the story anyway. This right. is not that like we don't right. know how his story ends. Yeah, we do. But we kind <laughs> of know how his know story ends. Happen. You know, it's like. And people say this in the book. People people say this to him. People say like, um, dude, you, you're kind of don't don't do this. It's not smart. Um, Bruh. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> um, uh, but how he, old he's 37. He? He's 37. Oh, which, he's 37. Holy he's cow. That's really old. Man. He kind of gets to he's kind of getting to that part of the um, the part of his career where like he talks about 37 year olds is like getting up there. So he's he's getting up there and there may come a time when he says, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm done. I'm I'm out. Um, is, is there, though? Because it strikes me as uh, I mean, you watch the movie and I'm sure you read the book and you're like, this guy's never going to stop. Like he's going to stop until he's going to go until he dies, until he falls off and his body fails. I, th- well, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think so because, 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 and this is, here's why, because in the movie and in, in the book too, um, he talks about how he injures himself. Um, th- there's that, that thing where he's, he's setting up to climb El Cap. He injures himself. He falls, I don't know, like, like 12 feet or something busts up his ankle and rehabs and then he's set he's like i have one like this is the one day i can it's it's 2016 this is the one day before the season ends that i can go and summit and climb el cap and he gets up and he's like nope don't feel it i'm out he bails and he he knows when to bail and like and well that's one of the things that reading this book it made me feel like hopeful that he has an awareness of his body and he that confidence is not foolhardiness. Yeah. He says there are times when I'm just like, this is not right for me. I am out. And, you know, when he when he bails, he bails. He doesn't he doesn't get like arrogant about it. He doesn't get he's he's bummed, but he's not like, now let me go do something stupid instead. There was a um, I don't know when this was. There was a famous skywalking troop, like tightrope troop called the Flying Walandas, probably the Flying yep. like Walandas. And there's a great quote from the head of it who said, who said, life is on the wire. The rest is just waiting. Right. Like, like yep. I am alive. I when I'm on the wire. Yes. 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 It, it has to like life is on the wire. The rest is just waiting. And I think 
like, I, th- I think that's like clearly what's going on here with Alex Handled is like, hey, I'm alive on the wall. The thing I think of, I just looked up how this guy died, Carl Wallanda, right? Like, did he die a natural death? Um, no, he died falling from a tightrope wire at 73 years old. Oh, that's right? not bad, though. That's, 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 I mean, that's, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, I think it's how you want to go. Do you think yeah. that's how Alex wants to go? Like, do you think to his death? I think he would, but he's already accepted that, right? Like, does, does he talk about accepting death? Does he talk about no. here? Here's a question, Ian. Does he talk about anything fucking interesting in this book that people really want to hear? Because this shit is crazy. And like, <laughs> does he address the crazy at all? Yeah, I, I think I think so. I, I talked about like everyone. Everyone needs a God. He doesn't phrase it like this. And I think you'd probably be pretty mad if I said it like this. Everyone needs something that they devote themselves to. And for him, he's like he's very upfront. Like climbing is that thing for me. So I think. Um, he gets, he is clear that this is my deal. I don't expect you to feel the same way about climbing as I do, but he, his narrative of his devotion, his dedication, his delight, the way he feels when he, when he climbs to the top of the wall, um, the kind of like wry humor about he's every time he gets to the top of one of these big climbs, something funny happens, whether it's, um, uh, uh, a tourist, a tourist saying something like, dude, you're so hardcore. You're going to walk back down barefoot or um, get into the top and being like, that's great. Oh, crap. I left my my gear on the other side of the river, so I have to walk down barefoot and ford a river before I can be clean and dry. Like, that's not that funny. It's it's funny when he says it. It's funny. It's <laughs> He's it, so you had to be funny. There. You had to be there. Um, I think I think then the, this book as kind of a broader narrative about obsession and about the things that delight us, the things that we worship, the things that we like can't get enough of. For me, it's podcasting with you two guys. <laughs> this is my, in my veins. Uh, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's really powerful. It it's inspiring, right? Um, yeah. I, well, and we all so have such I, large throats, which make us, you know, naturally yeah, we're, we're naturally gifted to this. To this. And our, yeah. and our brains and our hands, our hands are weirdly huge too. And um, our beautiful voices. Joseph, Nick, let's um, let's let's come down from the wire just a little bit. Step back down. Let's to have Earth. a nice wholesome yeah. book about a a guy who has a healthy relationship with with his, his sport. sport. Yeah, I kind of I kind of love this because I'm I am about as far from climbing as um, well, I'm I'm pretty far from climbing. I have no connection to it. Um, whereas Joe, you're a tennisman. You're a tennisman yeah, yourself. I am a tennisman. That's it should true. be said. And you read it a book, a, a book by we call him. We call him Joe Joseph Rackets Holshoe mm-hmm. here on the podcast. Andre Agassi. Andre Agassi. Nick is Andre Agassi. I, I assume that's a name that you've heard in your life. Yeah, of course. Okay, of course. But is he really the greatest tennis player to ever play? No, 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 no. He is not the greatest tennis player to ever play. He would not make that argument. He would argue that he's probably not the best tennis player of even his era, not even mm. the best American tennis player of his era. Um, however, he was a 
very interesting tennis player. He was wildly popular when he played. He remains wildly popular. Um, he has kind of this storied life, this interesting story. He married Steffi Graf, Stephanie Graf, who um, arguably is one of the greatest women's tennis players of all time. Um, they have two children together who do not play tennis, which is really? kind of amazing. Yes. Um, and we could talk a little bit more about that later. But Andre Agassi, when I was growing up as a young um, tennis man, as I was getting into the game, Andre Agassi was the most popular American tennis player. Like if you were a young guy and you were going to root for somebody, Andre Agassi was the obvious choice. Why is that, Joe? Because of his bald head. Okay, mm-hmm. because Andre Agassi was cool. Right. Okay. Bald head. Yeah. Bald head. Bald, bald is cool. Bald headed guys, famously cool. Right. Among other things. But Andre Agassi, especially when he was young, like he had long hair that he dyed. He wore what? earrings. He had. Oh, he had cool. He had cool facial hair. He had an attitude. There was a whole era in Andre Agassi's life where he played in denim shorts, and that Ew. sounds ridiculous. What? Unless yes. you kick everybody's ass that you play against, and sure. then it's yep. awesome. <laughs> yep, yep, that's true. Well, and like, like what a what a what a dunk on them. I know I'm mixing my sports metaphors here, mm-hmm. but you're like, you don't don't just beat somebody. <laughs> beat them in denim. Famously, shorts. one of the beat one of the like worst asshole. The worst kinds of one of the worst kinds of pants there are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, beat them being an asshole, and like the kind of the whole early part of Andre Agassi's career is kind of like, hey, I played tennis. I was kind of a prodigy. I hated tennis and I was a super asshole about it. Okay. Not a great start, but not a great start. And I think that is one of the things presentation this week. (laughs) So this week I brought the book open written by Andre Agassi in 2009. This is written pretty shortly after he retires from professional tennis. He retires from tennis in like 2006. He plays in the 2005 like US Open in Wimbledon. He retires kind of right after that. And did he what what's what's the greatest achievement in tennis? Is it the uh so the greatest World achievement Cup? Yeah, so um, in tennis, there's four major tournaments. They are called Grand Slams. There are four different Grand Slams played on four different surfaces. Australian and and U.S. Open are kind of similar. Probably bring this down a whole notch or two. (laughs) There's four four huge tournaments every year. If you win one of those tournaments in your entire lifetime, it's a tremendous achievement, right? They're so, so hard to win. He is one of only a handful of players, especially at the time that he did this, to have won all four of them and an Olympic gold medal when he was Mm. playing. So not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Um, Okay, so Ian, ask a question. Mm hmm. Uh, I'm just um, no. He was gonna make a smart ass comment. He did no. He, <laughs> he, he had nothing to he, offer. He was a meth head. What's this now? Yeah. So, <sighs> oh, saving that for Tiff. Well, I, I I think we have to start at the beginning of this. Okay, let's start at the beginning. I'm just like this. I, I I was not really expecting the the level of bonkers when when um Alex Honnold talks about uh, how how um Agassi uh, narrates his glamorous life. I didn't expect meth. Nobody expects math. <laughs> Nobody expects math. That's how it Much gets like the Spanish you. Inquisition. <laughs> One of the benefits of this book is it is Andre Agassi writing this book at the end of his career. 
right? Like it has his career at this point has a narrative arc and it has, I think, a really satisfying narrative arc. Mm -hmm. Like this book, I know we talk about it a lot on this show. This book is a buildings Roman. Like it is Andre Agassi. (laughs) It's Andre Agassi coming into his own, figuring out who he is and, and, and one, one pair of, of jorts at a time. <laughs> my my book is a my book is a memoir, which, as Nick knows, is autobiography for only a specific section of the life. Is this more of an autobiography? Like in 1885, I was born to Armenian yeah. parents. Oh my goodness, how old is he, Joe? See, he's, he's a thousand. He okay. I actually really bounced between calling this a memoir and calling this an autobiography. It, he calls it an autobiography or like it is called like in the literature an autobiography, which of course encompasses more than just tennis. However, when you read this book, it's a tennis book. Like it is, mm. it is a book like, and then I played this match against Michael Chang and Michael Chang played like this and his forehand was really good and his backhand was really bad and he was just super fast. And then I played this guy, et cetera. Like this is a book about tennis. However, in Andre Agassi's life, tennis and the rest of his life are so yeah. intertwined, yeah. right? Like yeah. up until he retires from tennis, there is no aspect of his life that is not tennis. His so best friends like, are his trainers and coaches, right? His like wife. his relationships <laughs> are people that exist. He marries the greatest tennis player of all time, right? The I greatest. couldn't marry myself, so I met. <laughs> uh, okay, Joe, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, Ian's book about his free solo guy, we have no choice but to care. He's broken out into mainstream yeah. and and kicked the door down and said, I'm going to win an Oscar for how interesting I am. Um, it, so like he is fully mainstream, but the rest of us, like we don't care about climbing, right? Yep, like like to, to be clear, nobody gives a shit about climbing. Yep. Your book, like who is this for? Does this yeah. break through to mainstream? Is this interesting for any mainstream audience or is this a tennis book for tennis minded people? This is a book that absolutely went mainstream. Like this is a book that I don't know if it was, I, I mean, I assume when you write it, you certainly hope it reaches a larger see any audience. Oscars on this Wikipedia but, though. <laughs> but this is a book that went way beyond the tennis community. Um, actually when I, I'd read this book before uh, a couple of times, but I reread it this week. And when I was looking to borrow a version from my local library, Nick, this is a book written in 2009 about a tennis player who hasn't picked up a racket from 2005. When I went to, um, pick up a copy of this book from my local library, there was a 12 week wait on it, right? Like this is a book that is still relevant. It is still being read. It is still popular. And that's way beyond the the tennis community. Now, as somebody who knows who Michael Chang is and who like remembers some of these matches that he talks about, it absolutely, I think, hits a little bit different for, for me. I think it hits a little bit different for tennis fans because you're a little bit more, um, inside baseball, you're a little bit more inside tennis. But this book is ultimately a story about a guy, a guy who is a prodigy in a game that he absolutely hates, right? Like he talks about tennis as it is a, as if it is a prison that he cannot escape from who does everything to try to escape it while not totally like breaking down and, and um, failing everybody in his life and who ultimately comes to, if not love the game, 
respect it and be absolutely embraced by it. And it is a it's an incredibly compelling story, even if you don't know a thing about tennis. What's so interesting about his life that's worth writing a book? Yep. Awesome. This book in the classic story structure, this book comes in a handful of parts. It starts with him as a reluctant beginner, right? It moves on to the turbulence of his teen and early adult years. There is a tremendous second act where he has a downfall. This thing includes things like uh, crystal meth and basically stop winning uh, tennis matches. He does marry Brooke Shields during this part of his life, which is not a classic thing that happens in your second act. It's not part of the downfall. Yeah, well, it it kind of is part of the downfall. And and then there's a rebirth. Like (laughs) there's a third act, there's a resurgence, and there's um, some, some healing and some messages at the end here. So one of the things that's compelling about this is the details in these different parts. For example, reluctant beginner. His dad, as I think is true of many professional athletes' dads, uh, is incredibly overbearing. Like his, he's insane. <laughs> his dad's goal, his dad has four children. Andre is the youngest of those four children. His dad's goal is to have a child who is a professional tennis player. When they buy their house in Las Vegas, his, his dad is like, uh, he, he's a uh, he works at a casino as like a like a concierge kind of right at a casino right okay his goal is to have a child who's a professional tennis player when they buy their house in las vegas his dad never sets foot inside of the house instead he just measures the backyard with a tape measure to see if he can build a tennis court back there right got it and the kid was how old at this point um possibly not born oh good god okay (laughs) he should write the book When Andre is a baby, like a baby, an infant in a crib, his dad straps, like lashes a ping pong paddle to his hand and builds a mobile out of tennis balls. So Andre can like bat at the tennis balls. This is like, this is like abusive. It's it's 100% insane. It's a, it is is 100% insane, but it's also something that comes up kind of a lot in athlete autobiographies, right? Like I feel like Tiger Woods has an insane dad. Doesn't Michael Jordan have an insane dad? Like, like kind of, I coached tennis for many years. And one thing that was always true of my outstanding players is they had parents who were tremendous pains in the ass, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. So he, he starts math. He does it very much as like a kind of an escape as a release, et cetera. Um, He does fail a drug test. Professional athletes on the ATP tour are frequently drug tested. He does fail a drug test and is in a position where he has to explain to the tennis organization why there's crystal meth in his system. Why it's not a big deal. Yeah, why it's not a big deal. Um, He's pretty candid in the book. He's like, so I wrote a letter and I lied. Like, I lied, lied, lied. Joe, what are the inspiring things from your book? What drugs are you inspired to take? Yeah. It ends up inspiring. It ends up really, Andre Agassi, his entire career hates tennis. From the time he's a little kid, he hates tennis. He goes to the Boletary Academy after his dad learns about it from a 60 Minutes uh, episode. Andre Agassi later finds out that it was a 60 Minutes X 
expose about these <laughs> terrible conditions at this oh like and this God. child tennis factory. And his dad is like, that's the place for my kid. That's going to make him a champion. He goes there and he's like the best player there. He hates tennis, but he continues to excel at it. And one of the themes that keeps coming up in this book is when he gets close to people, when he gets close to his trainer, when he gets close to his coach, when he gets Slim. close to Brooke Shields, he tells them explicitly, he says, I hate tennis and everybody laughs. They're like, well, right, <laughs> Lol. but you don't really hate oh, tennis. Andre, with your jokes. <laughs> yes. He's like, I hate tennis. And they're like, well, yeah, sure. Get on the you field. don't really hate tennis. And he's like, no, up and get I on the court. hate tennis. <laughs> I'm going to tie this racket to your hand until you love it. <laughs> we need more Gorilla Glue for Andre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try this with my kids, you know? Oh, well, you're um, far too late on your older child, but there's still time yeah, for you. The younger. Gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. They're, they're, they're over 12 months now, Ian. They're, they don't have a chance. So one of the great things about this book, or one of the interesting things about this book, is he spends his uh, a bunch of his career rebelling against tennis, right? Disliking it, showing up with attitudes. Crowds don't like him. He does eventually in this book after his downfall really find a it, it's hard to say a love for the game. I think an appreciation for the game because that, that would be a lie. He, yeah, he, he <laughs> recognizes that the game has like provided the life that like provided his life and he loves his life. Right. Okay. Interesting. So he finds an appreciation for the money that he and he's <laughs> treating this. So like we, we talk about the celebrity wives. We talk wives. about, we talk about <laughs> jobs, right? As either you love it or you survive it and you're working for the weekend. Yeah. This Everybody incredibly, exactly. Yeah. This incredibly yeah. successful tennis prodigy. Great. This incredibly successful tennis prodigy is working for the weekend. He, he does this not explicitly says wow. that at one point. Wow. He, like oh at one goodness. point, kind of in his dark era, when he's like, I hate tennis and I'm quitting tennis. At a certain point, he has I'm the realization where he's like, Andre, you hate your job. A ton of people hate their job and go to work oh anyway. God. How about you freaking go to work? At a certain point, he has like a blow up with one of his coaches. <laughs> he does <laughs> math. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is kind of post math. Um, but there's a moment in this book and there's there's a million things I could say about this book yet. Um, but there's a moment in this book where Andre Agassi has won three out of the four Grand Slams, those huge tennis tournaments um, that if you win one of them, you have a career, right? He's won three out of the four Grand Slams. It's been a while though, right? And the hardest for him, certain Grand Slams complement certain types of play a little bit better. And his bugbear is the French Open. The French mm. Open is played on red clay. It it rewards like a grindy, spinny kind of tennis Ooh, that care, isn't careful, really Joe. Andre Agassi's game. Tennis talk. He, at a certain <laughs> point, he goes to the Grand Slam, to the French Open. This is him on a resurgence. He's like gone back and started playing these challenger tournaments, which are tournaments that like you win like a thousand dollars at the, the, if you win, they're played in public parks. And he has worked his way back up to like being a competitor at the French open. He gets through the French open, goes round by round by round, and he wins the French open. You can watch a video of this online of the moment that he wins the French open. 
the moment is such a pure moment of catharsis. It can't help but bring tears to your eyes when you watch it. When he wins the French Open, you see a lot of athletes win big things and cry, right? You see a lot of athletes win big things and be grateful. After having read this book, after seeing this entire life of him absolutely despising the game, after seeing incredibly self-destructive behavior, after seeing him forming a grudging respect for the game and coming back to it, and then winning this last tournament that like kind of cements him as one of the really, you know, in a conversation of the great players of all time, winning this last tournament and seeing him absolutely break down when he does it, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Like it is absolutely awesome. It is like, it's, I think the emotional climax of this book, the book goes on for a little bit after that, but it's the emotional climax of this book. Um, it's worth reading just for that, for that rebirth arc. Like just for that story arc, it's worth reading. And there's a million other things to love about it. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's, a safe place for you to tell me all the terrible, terrible things about uh, not only your books, but apparently these people. Now, Joe, you mentioned <laughs> math. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing about him or the book, but um, would you like to go first? Now, tell me something really bad about this book. Yeah, I think if... use the word denim. I think if you... I think if you were not a tennis fan, and most people right. are not tennis fans... Is it fans, his father? <laughs> this book... No, his, his dad's super interesting. Yeah. If you were not a tennis fan... This book is, um, it sometimes gets into the weeds. In fact, mm. the ghostwriter is like, it was so frustrating. Like when I wrote this book, I moved to Las Vegas, right? Like, like I moved to Las Vegas. I lived in Andre Agassi's house with him, right? It was so weird talking about it because when I asked him about his career, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of every tennis match he'd ever played. He played something like a thousand matches at that point, and he remembered every single one of them. Games, breaks, specific points. He could point, tell me Joe. nothing about his life. <laughs> like he oh, said, I felt like a, psych, oh. like a psychiatrist talking to him about his life and extracting things. I think if there's... If there's one complaint that somebody could have about this book, I do think there's times when you are not rewarded for not knowing mm. about tennis. That was that was a weird uh, sentence construction. There are times when this gets too in the weeds about tennis. Sure. Got it. Okay. Uh, too much about tennis. If you're not a tennis fan, could be an off-putting thing. Ian, tell us about how your author is a sexist monster. <laughs> yeah. So his priorities are whack. He prioritizes himself at the expense of others. He treats his girlfriends pretty poorly. Wow. So he yeah, likes climbing, right? He's good at climbing. He also wants to have a girlfriend, but he wants her right. to be okay with climbing coming first. Basically, he wants her to be there at his whim. There's not much flexing to her needs or desires. And that is, that's not great. Are there things in the book that goes beyond that? Are there things more explicit? The way he, the way he talks, the way he talks about women in this book is uh, somewhat dismissive. It's kind of a boys club. Um, More than just his girlfriend or like who else is he bringing up that he's like, also, I don't like her. (laughs) No, no, it's not. It's not even that explicit. It's, it's, um, he talks about female climbers as hot chicks. Um, he refers to he refers to women when he refers to them in a dismissive way. One of the okay. the biggest times that he's like interacts with a woman in this book besides his girlfriends is a woman who needs help on a wall and he comes and rescues her. And she's like, I didn't even, ex- even expect to be rescued. Got women it. are kind of a kind of an afterthought. I will say he's not 
out, out there like saying women are bad. Right. There's just a cloud it's of little just, things that suggest yeah. to me this he is says it through his actions. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Great. Uh, Ian, you lose. I think oh. I've seen the movie and the movie won an Oscar. So that's pretty good. Um, pretty good. Joe. This book did not win any Oscars. It so. almost. Yeah. Joe. I, and I didn't even ask if your book won any Oscars, but it did, did sound very Oscars. compelling and it's super compelling. Great um, audiobook. And who doesn't like a, a guy in denim? Right. I want to read yeah, that book. That's really the good. book. Lidheads, if you want to climb your way into this podcast, nice. you can wedge your hands into the cracks of the website you don't know that podcast <laughs> ian did your did alex's father put like rocks in his crib when he was very young or something like that or like alex's parents, powder on his hands no, alex's uh, chalk it's it's chalk alex's Talcum parents are seems pretty chill powder. alex's mom alex's mom got into climbing because of him and she became the oldest person to climb i want to say half dome at 66 that's pretty cool that's and wow. then Four years later, she broke her own record. She's like, I'm older now. I'll keep doing (laughs) (laughs) I can do this every day. (laughs) Lidheads, if you want to uh, climb your way into our good graces, just wedge your hands into the cracks of the keyboard and go over to you don't know lit podcast.com where you can do all kinds of fun, exciting things like tell us what books to read. Tell us what themes we should focus on. Request stickers and I'll send them directly to your home address. The biggest, best thing you can do is climb a rock wall. And from the top of that, from the top of that rock wall, pull out the megaphone you've been carrying and shout, you don't know leadpodcast.com. And all of your bookish friends who are watching you from the ground below, they'll go to you don't know what podcast. It would be good. Honestly, Ian, I know you're kidding. News. That would be great. That would be great for the podcast. All right. This is um, Andre Agassi talking about how people view his life and how people view his career and how they get it a little bit wrong. He says, Bud Collins, the venerable sports reporter and tennis historian, sums up my career by saying that I've gone from punk to paragon. I cringe. To my thinking, Bud sacrificed the truth on the altar of alliteration. I was never a punk any I was never a punk then any more than I'm a paragon now. Also, several sports writers muse about my transformation. But that word, that word rankles. It misses the mark. Transformation has changed from one thing to another, but I started as nothing. I didn't transform. I formed. When I broke into tennis, I was like most kids. I didn't know who I was, and I rebelled at being told told by other people. I think older people make this mistake all the time with younger people, treating them as finished products when in fact they're in process. It's like judging a match before it's over. And I've come from behind too often, and I've had too many opponents come roaring back against me to think that that's a good idea. What people see now, better or worse, is my first formation my first formation. I didn't change my image. I discovered it. I didn't change my mind. I opened it.